I picture a friend of mine, a firefighter who had died almost two years to the day from falling into a basement fire. I pictured him in the basement with me. I did think, am I gonna die down here? Am I not gonna be able to make it out? Angeles. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. March 21, 2003. It was a normal evening for the crew of Coleraine, Ohio Township's Engine 26. The guys were cleaning up after dinner. Then the dispatcher interrupted them. Attention station 26, cross from 8835 Weiss Road, structure fire. When they arrived on scene, the crew found a single-family residence with flames showing. Police said there might be someone trapped inside. Lieutenant Steve Kahn and a rookie partner made entry and began to search. Minutes later, Steve found himself in a world of trouble. What happened next taught him a lot about dealing with mayday situations and their aftermath. Steve Kahn is battalion chief and a public information officer for the Coleraine Township, Ohio Department of Fire and EMS. He served there for over 30 years. He's also a registered nurse with three decades of experience in interventional cardiology. And Steve Kahn joins me now to tell his story. Welcome to Code 3. Well, thank you for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. So let's start this story earlier in the day before your incident. There was a mayday call nearby that you and your crew heard about. What happened there and what effect did it have on your crew? Yeah, Scott, on, on March 21st of 2003, the city of Cincinnati had a mayday operation. And on, on that day, they lost a 25-year-old firefighter named Oscar Armstrong. My fire department butts up against the city of Cincinnati on the northwest area of Cincinnati. A lot of us have family. A lot of us have friends on, on Cincinnati Fire. So we were listening to the run and we listened to the the emotions the raw emotions the uh, the operational commands and everything that were going on on the scene on Laidlaw Avenue I, I have to tell you when you hear that kind of stuff not knowing who's involved uh, but knowing that you know people on that department you know it's very it's very gut wrenching very heart wrenching when you sit there and listen to these kinds of uh, radio transmissions going on we eventually found out the name of Oscar. We learned a little bit about him as a 25-year-old firefighter for a couple years, uh, father of two, you know, all the things that you hear about. And then you start to internalize them as firefighters. Uh, what would happen if, if this happened to us? And we started talking at the station. I was a lieutenant at Station 26, and we were sitting around just discussing the, the incident as we knew it, obviously, as things were still evolving. And... We decided after lunch, we went out into the bay and we practiced uh, our RIT operations. Uh, we called them RAT drills, rapid assistance teams, but we, we, we practiced our, our RIT. Uh, we called maydays on the radios. We, 
practiced our drags and carries, our firefighter safety and survival, things that we had learned through training with Cincinnati, just to bolster our, our background, you know, that muscle memory type stuff, not realizing how quickly that these skills would come back to be used for, for all of us. Well, yeah, because hours later, your station was dispatched to a first alarm structure fire. What did you find when you arrived? On arrival, I had a single family, single story residential, uh, and we had a obvious working fire, smoke and flames from the, from the roof and the eaves. Did you do the size up? So yes, I did. Our size up at the time, and this is where we have to go back now. This is how a student of the fire service will find it interesting how things evolve. Back in 2003, we did not do 360s. It wasn't even thought of. We thought that if we came up on a building, we saw the first side as we were approaching, we saw the front, we'd pass a little bit, we'd look back and we'd see the, the, the other side. 75% of a, of a building was probably about as good as we thought we were gonna get. So at that point, we just didn't do 360s. I went on the scene, I had a, a working fire heavy involvement in the attic and we had a breezeway and I made my determination that because I was met with a police officer that said we have a car in the driveway, we don't know if anybody's in the house or not. So we made an offensive strategy and we decided to go inter interior. You made entry with a rookie firefighter. I did. How well trained was he? This was his very first fire. Um, he was fresh out of uh, rookie recruit school. Um, now, I, I, knowing this guy for a little bit beforehand and what he was able to, he, he was probably one of our better recruits that we've had in the past. He was very competent, very good, but at the same time, continuing to evaluate while I had a rookie along with me does distract you a little bit. Yeah. So what happened next? So we decided to make an interior advance. And at that point in time, because I thought we just had an attic fire with some, some drop down into our, into the living space. I was not aware that I had a fire underneath. I made entry through a breezeway, started knocking down some fire that we saw in the kitchen. I had dropped my thermal imager at the, uh, at the door, and I asked my rookie, okay, can you turn around, just grab that, uh, that thermal imager and hand it to me, because I wanted to take a look around and take a look down a hallway to see if we had anybody you know, on the ground or down the hallway. As he turned to get the thermal imager, I leaned the other way just to see if I could see anything underneath the smoke, and the floor gave way, and I fell about 10 to 12 feet, landed on my head in the basement. Wow. All right, so once you ended up down there, you called for help, and I've got a little bit of that that we can play here. Absolutely. So here's what that sounded like. Sure. pretty damn calm. Did that help calm you down even a little bit? I can't tell you how much that incident commander set the tone for this whole thing. Um, my initial reaction was, you know, I'm in the basement. 
Um, <laughs> a lot of weird things go on with your head. I, I, was, I was in a panic mode, but things were moving slow in my, you know, that I could see. My perception of reality was distorted. I didn't realize I fell on my head. I didn't realize there was a fire in the basement. What I do remember is talking to that incident commander, telling him that I was in the basement. And what you don't hear, there's about seven minutes worth of radio traffic of, of him just saying, hey, Steve, you know, uh, just settle down. We're, you know, we're coming to get you. Made it very personal and uh, even made a joke uh, a couple times about, you know, I just needed to sit still. And I said, well, you want to trade places with me? It was, it was a really a very surreal experience from the standpoint of being in there. I, I did have a firefighter that did lay down on the first floor and extended his hand through the hole to hold my hand. That grounded me and gave me my starting point to at least start to reassess where I was. Yeah, you were down there for six or seven minutes, which must have seemed like the longest six minutes of your life. What was going through your mind that time? Were you thinking this is it? Again, the, the experience, perception does not equal reality. That's for sure in this thing. Right. I didn't think I was in a fire. Yet the guy that was holding my hand got burns all up on his arm, up into his armpit. You know, I got nothing. My helmet melted. I don't feel like I got burned anywhere. My gear didn't get burned. I pictured a friend of mine, a firefighter, who had died almost two years to the day from falling into a basement fire. I pictured him in the basement with me. So a guardian angel, a spirit, somebody to watch out over me. I was thinking all these things. Uh, my friend that had passed away, Bill Ellison, firefighter, I, he said, don't worry. I, I saw him in front of me. It was really, like I said, very surreal. And it makes you question things because I did think, am I going to die down here? Am I not going to be able to make it out? I know my respiratory rate was just going so fast that I, I picture my bottle was probably going in and out that fast also until I was able to reach over and I found my escape route, which ended up being the stairs upstairs to get upstairs. You essentially self-extricated. How did you do it? As I located the, the stairs, I, I had to pull my hand away from the firefighter holding, holding my hand because he did not want to let go. He was, and he told me, if I, if, I, if I let go of you, that might be it. Were you able to communicate with him? I mean, could he hear you speak? I think he could. Because originally, when I, I reached up and he grabbed my hand, I said, don't pull me up. And the reason being is because through after action reports, we had heard that uh, firefighter Bill Ellison, when they went to pull him up, they pulled his gloves off. And that's all I could think of was them pulling my gloves off. So I said, don't pull me up. I found the steps, and as I, as I turned the corner to get up the steps, I heard something hit the ground behind me. But at that point, I am in full panic. I am, I'm just moving. I, I, I get up the steps, and the door was closed at the top of the steps. And that's where this perception comes in again. I thought, who the hell puts a wall at the top of a step? So you thought the door was a wall? I thought the door was a wall. And oh, wow. I just started beating on it. I was, I finally beat the door off the hinges. Again, it's, <laughs> it's just really, it, it's surreal when you go back and think about these things uh, step by step. I'm able to get through that door, take it off its hinges. I get outside. Then I find out that the thing that hit the floor behind me as I was going up the steps 
was another member of the RIT team coming in for me that he fell in through another hole. Oh. At the end of my May Day, I yell to, to the incident commander, Dave. I say, hey, Dave, I'm out. I'm out front. And his next line is, okay, we've got one May Day cleared. We still have another May Day going. And I had no idea about that other mayday. So he got down there by falling through the floor also. Yes. How did he escape? Since he was part of an organized RIT team, they already had the equipment there, the ladder. They were able to lower down to him so he could get up. Well, that was fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. So after it's all over, what did you and your department learn from this close call you had? Well, this is where things can sound kind of resentful or critical, but I I don't want this to come across like this. Again, we're talking 18 years ago. We were a different fire service 18 years ago. The mentality or the, the, the culture, the thought processes that we enjoy now weren't part of the conversation back in 2003. My department really didn't do anything about it. We did not really do an after action report or an after action follow up. There were some of the statements that were made similar to the, you know, just walk it off, quit talking about it. It wasn't that big of a deal. You're making a mountain out of molehills type of thing. Oh, the old suck it up attitude. Oh, yeah. Suck it up, buttercup. Exactly. And, and again, that's that's the way it was. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking again, we're talking about 18 years ago now that this kind of mentality it, it was still there. And at the time, I just went along with it. I felt. 10 to 12 feet, landed on my head. And the the most medical examination I had was, are you okay? And when I said, yeah. They they said, all right, he's fine. Yeah, I didn't go to the hospital. I didn't do any, you know, x-rays or anything like that because I I just shook it off. I walked it off. I continued to help out on the scene that night. I went back on the truck that night and continued to make runs. That was at nine o'clock. We were probably finished with that fire, probably around 11, 11.30. And I made a non-breather and a car fire later on that night. Did you actually have any injury to your neck or anything else that you found later? Well, at the time, I didn't think so. 18 years later, now I'm dealing with three extruded discs in my neck. And the surgeon asked me one day, he said, have you ever had any neck trauma? <laughs> you he know, said, oh, just a little just one. A, yeah, just a little. That's why it's important when we do the, when these types of things happen, we need to protect our personnel for down the road. You know, we all know when you get into a wreck or something like that, the adrenaline's flowing and you don't feel anything right then. You always feel it a couple of days later. In situations like this, it's really important to get a, a good medical exam to, to rule out any injuries that, you know, or to find injuries that could cause problems down the road. It almost goes without saying that you likely had some sort of PTSD as a result. But I'm going to ask, did you? Well, that's the aftermath. I didn't think so. I I thought things were fine. I thought things went right back to normal to where I was um, functioning. I enrolled in school. I was getting my master's degree. Stress, work, school, my master's thesis all started compounding on top of me. And I had a mental breakdown in 2005. I was suicidal. I had to admit myself to the hospital, not just any hospital, but I'm also an RN on my off days. I admitted myself to the hospital system that I worked at. Very, very, very dark time in my life. 
I was able to get through that, obviously, with some intense uh, cognitive behavioral therapies, uh, medications to get back out on the truck. And I've been and I, functioning fine. But there was always something in the back of my mind. Because in 2005, when this happened, we did not talk about the actual PTSD in terms of firefighting. We talked about PTSD was always something that was reserved for those heroes that suffered during war and, and brought those memories back from wartime uh, experiences. There, that link, for some reason, was never made. Hey, you know what? Firefighters, police, dispatchers, nurses, doctors, we could all have this to varying degrees. Because that link wasn't made, I think the attitude was, oh, I couldn't have that. I'm not a hero. I just, it was in an accident. That perfectly sums it up. What, how could that, how could I have that? And it wasn't until 2008, um, in April of 2008, my fire department, Coleraine Fire Department, lost two firefighters, Captain Robin Brockstroman and firefighter Brian Shira, in a single family residential basement fire. The aftermath of that started leading me down that rabbit hole again. And that's when my wife stepped in and she goes, you know what, we, we're going to, we learned from the last time. We're going to find out what the heck's going on with you right now. And we started diving into it. 2008, 2009, we start hearing this thing that, hey, you know what? Firefighters could have PTSD. This could be a real thing. And I was diagnosed with PTSD, and that was the aha moment. It finally said, hey, you know what? What happened four or five years ago makes sense. The incident that I experienced in 2003, the the immediate actions of, of people in my department, lack of recognition, or whatever you want to call it, that set me up for this fall, you know, minimizing the entire incident, which sort of makes me feel like I'm devalued. We're learning more and more. As I keep talking about this, there's a thing called moral injuries. If you uh, listen to Michelle Fayed from uh, Miami-Dade Fire talk about moral injuries, prototypical moral injury. I was brought up to believe, by God, that uh, the brotherhood's going to take care of me through everything. I go through the fire, into a fire, I almost die, and I'm told to shut up about it. So where was that brotherhood? That's that moral injury. There was that disconnect. It didn't meet up with what I expected. Are you saying you were told to let it go and shut up about it when you said, hey, I'm starting to feel something, or is it just how you were treated from the beginning? It's no big deal. Oh, absolutely not. When... When my incident happened in 2003, that was the attitude. That was what was imparted on me. Once I realized, after, I, after my hospitalization and subsequent realization in 2008, 2009, we're, we're evolving mental health-wise in the fire service. It's, you know, we got to talk about these things. My administration was top-notch. They facilitated, they, they helped, they encouraged any kind of, further exploration into what my personal issue was all the way up to right now, uh, having a peer support team that is very active in the community and in the region um, for our police and fire um, because of what we've learned over these past years through negative experiences. So things did not go well for you afterwards. Did anything go right the day that happened? Well, obviously I wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing if I hadn't found something positive throughout the entire experience. I almost die. I become suicidal. 
I, through this whole process, I, I like to think I'm helping to open these, these doors for uh, others that might be struggling. So whereas I can't really think of anything operationally that went really, really great that night or, you know, taking care of me per se, it had to happen that way to get to where I am today. That was almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You were Lieutenant Khan back then, now you're Battalion Chief. Yes. How often do you find yourself thinking back to that day on a daily basis? Kind of a twisted question because I do, I do lecture on this exact incident. I go around, I've been fortunate to be able to share this story uh, at conferences and seminars just to say, hey, you know, it can happen to anybody. And this is how I was able to get through it. So through that, I think about the, the path and the, the journey that I've been through. I think about that quite often. The actual incident itself, I, I don't think as much about it from the standpoint, but I will tell you that it's on a street that I used for a cut through a lot of times to go from one station to another. I pass by it mm. every single time I think about it. And, you know, I'm thankful for the, uh, the incident commander. I'm thankful for his behavior, his calm demeanor. I'm thankful for the firefighter that reached down to help me. There's a lot to be thankful for in, in this case to get to where I am today. When you talk to people in lectures about it, how do they react? I mean, after you've done this for a while, you get to where you can watch their reactions while you speak. What do you see? I start off by telling people that my story is not, the, the, my incident is not unique from the standpoint of I'm not the first person that's ever fallen through a floor or had a mayday or had a wall collapse on them or their air ran out. All these types of incidents, whenever we call a mayday, obviously the most dire situation on a fire ground for, for firefighters. I'm not the first ever to experience that. But when I talk to people, what I've found is uh, they come and talk to me afterwards and they say if they were to substitute their incident for my incident, everything else following it was exactly the same. People that had uh, been hospitalized, people that had been suicidal, people that had, you know, and because they were able to get the mental health help that they needed through therapy and they're, 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 they're functioning, they're doing great on their journey. What I've learned is sharing my story helps others to, it validates what others may have gone through to say, you know what, or you know, now's time for me to get some help. It validates the, that the, the mental health aspect of this job is, is real. We really need to take consideration uh, for that. My responses go from everywhere from tears in the audience, uh, tears myself sometimes um, when they tell me their stories, but overwhelming acceptance, overwhelming appreciation for a brother firefighter, a, a, a chief officer, you know, setting an example uh, of vulnerability saying, hey, you know, I was, I was in a bad spot. You know, this is how we can get up and out of it. And here I am. Do you feel like, do you feel like you've, you've gone through the PTSD and come out the other side? I absolutely do feel that. But one thing I have learned is that just like your physical fitness, your mental fitness is something that you should actively work on. Taking the time for yourself to meditate, taking time for yourself to just have some downtime on shift, 
15 minutes of deep breathing or just tuning everything else out. Sleep hygiene. Wow. We could talk days and days and days on sleep hygiene. Recognizing the things that impact our mental health and trying to put some, uh, some things in place to enhance our mental health or to counteract some of the negative things. Just keeping that at the front of your mind. So yeah, I think I'm, I think things are, are working out well. I'm doing self-help. I continue to go to, go to therapy, it, it, you know, because my, I'm still in the job. I'm still witnessing and I'm still living vicariously through some of my people, through some of the runs that they've made. So yeah, I still go to therapy. I think it's something that um, it helps to clean the shelves off a little bit, you know, and, and keep things functioning. It's quite a story. We're all glad that you lived to tell it and to teach other firefighters what they need to know about it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story of survival. Well, thank you, Scott. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Like I said, utilizing this type of, of media and platform to get these these messages out is is incredible to be able to do this. I really appreciate your inviting me to be part of this and hopefully uh you know my story can uh, be one little change for somebody and maybe we can start changing things even more all right steve khan thanks for talking with me today thank you there's more about the incident in ptsd on our website at code3podcast.com slash aftermath that's code3podcast.com slash aftermath This is an important topic. If you know anyone who might benefit from hearing about Steve Kahn's experiences, please share this podcast with them. It may make a major difference in their life. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.